every Sunday, my mom dragged us to church. <laughs> and uh, my mom, I don't want to go to church, but we, she still made us go. And I thank God for that. And for a lot of years, <clears throat> I believe, um, that was just going, really going through the motions with my belief and my faith. And uh, I picked up a guitar. My, my older brother put a guitar in my hand. And he, he bought me a, a drum set and, you know, bass guitar and all that kind of stuff. He's like, Mashi, and my name is Mashi, my brother called me Mashi. Mashi, you didn't learn how to play. <clears throat> I was like, no. <laughs> I was shy. I was, I was introverted. Um, I didn't like to talk. I didn't like to look at people. I just like, if I'm walking in a room, <laughs> I was terribly shy. And um, he made me do it. And I learned how to play guitar, and he taught me. And um, I owe my brother a lot for that, just um, uh, putting these tools in my hand and, and saying, James, Mashi boy, you can learn how to use this and play for the Lord. So I learned, and I learned how to play just up there playing with him when he was singing. I was all, you know, out here, out of tune, but, you know, I was still doing it. Um, playing my drums, out of beat, but I was still doing it. But as, as I got older, <clears throat> um, I really feel like I, I didn't really know the Lord when I was uh, like some of these young people's age here. Uh, they're they're preteens, they're teenagers now. And I was still doing my thing up here, playing and coming to church every Sunday. And it just became kind of mundane and just routine to me, coming to church. And we sat there and got our dose of the um, the Bible, the Word, every day, and saying. Um, <clears throat> but like I said, I don't think I was really saved. I wasn't a, a born-again Christian. I didn't know Jesus. I didn't know God. Um, and a bit about my, my background on my house. We had a dysfunctional home. And, you know, in a functional home, there should be security. There should be safety, there should be routine, there should be rules, expectations, boundaries. Uh, there should be all of those things in the home. But in my home, it was opposite. Uh, we lived out in Page, we lived in Winter Rock you know, for a while. And <clears throat> there was no rules, there was no expectation, there was no safety, there was no nurturing. Um, in fact, it was, there was domestic violence, there was... I would sit in my room as a young toddler, maybe two or three years old. Uh, this is evidence that um, young, young people can be traumatized, okay? I was sitting in my room, and I could hear in the back, the next room, people hitting the wall, um, people crying, uh, people yelling and fighting, you know? And I was just in my room playing with my little um, strong, Armstrong toy, just like, what's that noise? I hear something. And then that kind of became a norm. Um, and you know, seeing beer cans at home, I knew what Budweiser was when I was a young kid, just growing up. And <clears throat> so there was a lot of uh, violence in my home as a young person. And I was a spectator, I was an observer to a lot of this. And I grew up with it in my home. And <clears throat> as I got older, I entered um, junior high, high school, and I was still a very um, shy kid, and I was kind of unusual, okay? I was a bit peculiar. So, um, 
maybe some of you all know some unusual kids. They're a little, little different. <laughs> I was like that because, you know, I was fat and I was overweight and I was just like kind of chubby. It was hefty. I had these thick, thick, thick glasses. Back then they didn't have these polycarbonate, nice eagle vision where it can be thin. Back then you're, you had bottle caps, okay? I mean, it was the end of the bottle and your eyes were really tiny and my hair was bushy, it's big. And <laughs> I was a little weird looking. And girls didn't want to talk to me. Um, and it had a lot of friends. Um, I had asthma, uh, you know. And a lot of this, I think I contributed, I attributed to not having a dad in my life. And when uh, I was about three years old, that's when my, my mom and my dad split up because there was a lot going on. There was drinking, there was addiction, there was violence in the home. <clears throat> so <clears throat> they, they had split up and I grew up without a father in my life, my actual dad, my biological dad. And along with that came a lack of mentorship, a lack of being mentored and being um, taught even the simple things in life like fishing. I'm just barely learning how to fish now. <laughs> Me and my wife are just learning now. I never went fishing, at least to my memory, to my knowledge. Um, I never went target shooting with, you know, with guns, firearms. I never had to talk with, with, my, with my dad. I never, he never was there to speak to me and talk to me and, and tell me about life how to treat women, how to treat your mom, how to treat your sister, how to treat your, your future wife and things like that. I never learned basic life skills, okay? <laughs> That's why I was a little unusual, I was a little off in school. I, was, I didn't have any social skills. I wasn't able to speak my mind. I was very timid. I was very reserved. And every time a girl would say, hey James, <sighs> I'll get my, my asthma on. <laughs> I just get nervous and like I lose it. And I don't know how to talk to anybody. <laughs> and, then, and then I scare all the girls away. But <clears throat> that was just me. Okay, just, I, I didn't play sports. I was picked last all the time. I always, or I wasn't picked at all. I don't know, on my team. Um, I had no skills whatsoever. And um, <clears throat> as as the, my high school years, my brother had really stepped in, uh, Arnold, Arnold Batoni, had really stepped in and just, uh, I don't know if he realized what he did or he was intentional about it, but he, he kind of took that mentorship role and, and kind of like a father. He took us places, he took us on trips, Bible camps, um, uh, events, conferences, and things like that. And there was a lot of times that I spent with him that were in like informal times, just talking. I, I watched him, I, I observed him. He is a believer, he's a good man. <coughs> he treated his wife, how he treated his wife, Bessie. And I was observed to all of this, how he treated his kids. And uh, besides his teaching, his preaching and all that, I got to see him model a good man. <laughs> and, and I kind of grew up in my high school years with him and I got to see all of that. And, um, I don't think he ever took me fishing, but he did a lot more other things. Okay, <clears throat> but um, I believe all a lot of those years, for most of my 
young adulthood years, I was still not saved. I believe I was saved until in my 20s. Even though I was doing all of these youth things, um, camps and Bible camps and uh, playing up here and I got better, you know, I picked up um, the skills to, to play music and sing. Um, I think I didn't really have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But um, as I got into high school, <clears throat> I became a teenager and I, I grew through the roof and I, was, and I lost all my fat. <laughs> I got skinny. Um, and um, I started to experiment with alcohol and drugs, marijuana, um, even <clears throat> things like cocaine as a young teenager. And I found my comfort in um, friends. I found my place with friends that were up to no good. They accepted me, but they were doing um, illegal activity. And this, this, this behavior got worse. I, I became, I believe I became addicted to substance abuse um, starting in high, high school. And um, there are some days I went through my, my, my day without remembering what I did through class. But uh, I graduated from high school and I went to college, NAU, and this destructive behavior continued and it got worse and worse and worse. And I ended up um, withdrawing from, or I just left, I just, I just dropped college because I couldn't handle my freedom. Um, just like weekly drinking binges and unhealthy relationships. Um, and my mental health and my physical health began to deteriorate. And I, I, I um, thought about suicide two times in my life and I actually tried to do it. Um, to kill myself. <clears throat> but today when I look back at it, um, I found that like counseling, all the counselors that I went to to speak to, it basically just managed my anger and my bitterness for a bit, for a moment. It delayed it. Uh, I was on medication, I was reuptake inhibitors, taking those like M&Ms, um, and it, that only delayed my anxiety, my stress, and even like staying busy, trying to stay out of trouble, trying to occupy my mind from, from these destructive thoughts and behaviors, that was only temporary. <clears throat> and I would clean up for a little bit during my teenage years and my young adult years. I would clean up maybe for three months, four months, a year here, a year there. But I would eventually come back to my behavior. But in, in a nutshell, I did everything I could, humanly could do to resolve this mental illness they call to my, my addiction, my, 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 my thoughts, my thoughts of suicide. But I couldn't quite um, shrug it off. I couldn't cure myself. I couldn't do it. And, and I would try, and counselors would try to help me. Um, but in the end, I would just come back worse than I was before. <laughs> But um, I think the, the point that my life kind of really took a, a, a turn, a pivot, was um, I was caught for DUI for the second time, uh, driving while intoxicated in Flagstaff, 
on 4th Street. And <clears throat> um, I was arrested and I, I went to jail that night, okay? And that jail was the, probably the most uncomfortable jail you can ever be in. It was old, it was outdated, it was hot, it was during the summer, and there was not a breeze in sight. <laughs> I was laying on a bunk bed um, on top bunk, and there's a guy under me who was just miserable. Um, and he was like throwing up, he was shaking, and he was just, I could remember, he was sweating. I was like, you doing all right, guy? And he was like, oh man, I had withdrawing, man, just like, and it's like, he was on, off, on something for days and then he just probably got arrested and he stopped. <laughs> so he was with him and he was, he was just sick. And I was like, oh my gosh, I just, I just went back on my bed, got that really uncomfortable, chizzy fire blanket over me. And, like, oh. and then the lights, there was lights, fluorescent lights above me that were just like flickering. <laughs> I was miserable too. That was a um, fire uh, um, emergency light. So even though they shut off the jail lights, that light would stay on all night, <laughs> just flickering above me. I was, was like, oh my gosh. Um, and I just, I just thought to myself, what in the world am I doing here? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm halfway, uh, I'm intoxicated, and there's this guy under me, he is about to die, and I'm in a very uncomfortable place. And in, in my life, too, in a comfortable season. And I, I could remember back to my brother, he used to tell me, um, someday when you come to a point when you think God is not there and God doesn't love you, I want you to know, Mashi, God is, will always be, be there and He will always love you. So, I remember that um, on, on that jail in Flagstaff, that hot and musty room in downtown Flag, I was reminded of my complete and utter helplessness and deprived condition as a man. So I was at my lowest in that, in that jail cell, but I, I feel like that's where really at my lowest that, that I could, I could finally really hear God. I could feel finally hear His voice because I was uh, when I graduated from high school. Uh, I kind of bloomed. I, I, I got tall and um, and I kind of got into myself. I was prideful. I was arrogant. Um, and I was loud. I was talkative again, and I, I found myself. I found my voice. But, and through all of that, I, I, I forgot about the Lord. And at that point in that jail cell, I was fired from my job at Five Guys Car Wash <laughs> because I was too drunk to even work. I got dumped by my girlfriend um, because I drank too much. I was kicked out of my apartment for assaulting my roommate. We got in a fight. And the only, only way he could control me was he picked up a guitar amp bigger than this thing and he swung it at me and knocked me out. Man, <laughs> what a rough time I was having. Um, my vehicle was impounded. Uh, my pride was gone. I lost everything. But 
through my, my bloodshot eyes, I looked up and said, God, if you're really there, save me. Yes. <laughs> It'd be tough. I think that was a day that he reached out. Forgive me. Forgive his sins. Amen. And tell until I completely lost everything. I finally I was finally able to hear him. Today, um, I want this testimony, this sermon, not to be about, about myself. I want it to be about God and how He is able and powerful enough yes. to see, to pull you from the deepest, darkest. Place, snatch you out of there. <laughs> so the new man, the new man, um, like I said, I don't take any glory when I'm telling this story of the days behind me. And in fact, it's with great, great shame that I tell this story. Um, but I want to test about the testify about God's absolute saving power even for the worst of people. And we see a lot of bad people, don't we? And we know, and maybe of ourselves too, that sometimes we think, oh God can never save him. He's so far gone, or she's so far gone. God will never save him. He'll never change his mind. But um, I want to testify that it's otherwise, God is more powerful than any of our thoughts. Um, turn to Psalm 51.5, and I'll just cover different verses here, um, and I'm not going to stick with one verse. Psalm 51.5 says, uh, the psalmist here says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in and in sin my mother conceived me. So this psalmist knew and was testifying that we are all born in sin here today. From the moment that you were conceived in your mother's womb, you were born, you were conceived in sin, in a sinful condition, in a sinful state. earlier of my life before Christ, I was sinful. And, and there was really nothing I could do to remedy, remedy my sinful condition. Medication, counseling, um, encouragement, all of these things just kind of just delayed everything. And I was back on it again. And I wasn't really truly cured of this mental disease that I had. And Jeremiah 17, 9, if you could turn there as well. Um, 
Jeremiah 17, 9, says, My heart is more deceitful than all else. <laughs> so this heart of yours, this heart of mine, it is deceitful. It can lie. It can doubt. Um, it can put thoughts in your mind. It is very cunning, very cunning, this human heart that we have. And I'm not talking about the thing beating in your chest. I'm talking about your will, your emotions, the seat of your emotions, who you are, what you are as a, as a, as a human being, as a, as a man, as a woman. Your heart is deceitful. It can be very, very deceitful. Above anything else, it says, and it says, and is desperately sick. <laughs> wow, who can understand it? You know, we can tame animals, we can break horses, we can tame cats and dogs and all of these things. But who can tame the heart of man? Right? Nobody. Nobody. But God. Okay. Heart is more deceitful than all else. And is desperately sick. I think some translations is wicked. And who can understand this heart of ours? So I want to talk a little bit about some of the band-aids that we try to fix ourselves with. And I work in behavioral health for a number of years, and I am familiar with words like behavior modification. Um, you know, behavior modifying. Diversion plans, uh, how to divert someone's behavior over here to concentrate more on the good things and to stay away from abuse, substance, or whatever they're dealing with, anger, resentment, unforgiveness. We divert them with some type of plan. We have human mechanisms that we try to put them this way, or we try to give them medication, medicate them to divert them from this type of undesired behavior. <clears throat> but I think a lot of these things are helpful and they do work sometimes for the most part but I don't think it's really really a cure all it's not a cure for our condition in our hearts and for a lot of us counseling and intervention and programs and like for me it only delayed my addictive behaviors my addictive addiction to alcohol and drugs. And those things only address the physical side of us, not the spiritual. And, and we also use um, distraction. It's like when I work with young people, let's distract our kids so they stay out of trouble, build a basketball court, um, have them play some games, distract our kids from undesired behavior from smoking, from um, drinking, things like that. But that's even that's temporary. And a lot of us, what we attempt to do is disguise our sinful condition as well too long. We try to put, we try to cover up our real selves and what we are behind closed doors, nobody sees that. Nobody sees that, nobody hears it, nobody sees it. Um, take Facebook or Instagram for, for, for instance. Does your life on Facebook and Instagram really reflect who you really are in private? 
on social media, we always like to put out what good stuff, huh? We always put out good pictures, nice filter, and no blemishes, and you look nice. You know, that looks, we always take a picture up here and we're sucking the gut. Our pictures on Facebook look nice and perfect. Oh, this person has a good life. I'm going to follow them, follow him or her. I'm going to keep up with this person. We post things like, oh, I'm having a great day. Does that social media, that thing you put out on social media reflect your real, actual life and your private life? Most likely not, huh? Because life's hard. Life's tough. Life's tough. And I believe that a lot of us, with our sinful condition, we try to disguise it. We put makeup on it. We try to look good. But on the inside, something's different. There's a different story. Inside, we're struggling. On the inside, we have addiction. On the inside, we have anger. We have unforgiveness. We are bitter. There's, there's things going on. That, that people don't see. Is that true? Yes, it's true. If you say, oh, that's not true of me, you might be lying. <laughs> but the devil, the devil, um, he's powerful as well. He never rests, he never sleeps, never slumbers. He's always on the prowl, sending his angels to trip us up. And they know what trips us up. And they know you personally and intimately as well because they're around. And they observe us for how many years now? Thousands of years. They're probably good at what they do. And that's the enemy. He knows our faults, our shortcomings. And he can, he can capitalize on your faults and your shortcomings relentlessly each and every day, every second. But, um, but God, that's why I say God is our only hope to defeat the sin that we deal with. Only He can truly change us from the inside out. Um, above any type of medications, programs, counseling, self-help things, your self-will, God is the one that can transform you and not just modify you. He does not modify your behavior. He transforms you from the inside out. Um, you know, that counseling word, behavior modification, that doesn't change people, doesn't. Um, so in Christ, you don't become a, a better version of yourself like in behavior modification. You can become something completely new and different. The old self, the old sinful nature has been, has died and a new self has been risen from the life in Christ. I'm not saying that life will be all roses. Um, even after I was saved, after I was truly born again, I still struggle. I fall, I fail, I, I, um, I doubt, I sin. But the Bible also says God, Jesus, is faithful, right, and just to forgive us our sins, isn't he? So, um, in, in Christ, we don't become a better version of ourselves. 
we become a new creature. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new has come. The old has gone, the new is here. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If you are in Christ here today, if you are a born-again believer, you put your faith in Him, genuinely and sincerely, you are a new creation. Wow. You are made new. No more do you have struggles like you did with sin anymore. You're able to say no, right, to sin now. Where before, you couldn't help it but to do it. It says, the old has gone, the new is here. And it's an exclamation mark. Paul says, the new is here, he says. <laughs> Amen. But um, as, I, as I close my testimony here, <laughs> I, I want to share a few more verses. But I believe we're in the last days and we're coming closer, closer and closer and closer. Jesus is coming again. Time is short. And if you know Jesus as your personal savior here today, what, what are you doing in your own time and in, in, in taking the most of every opportunity to tell your fellow man, fellow woman about Jesus Christ? about your faith. And what I've, what I've realized from this pandemic is that tomorrow is not guaranteed. Our jobs aren't guaranteed. Our health is not guaranteed. Our freedom is not guaranteed. This country, the rights that we have, nothing is guaranteed in life, huh? So we should take our every day with that mindset, nothing's guaranteed. Um, but my question for us all here today, I pray and hope we're all saved, that we know Jesus Christ is your Savior. Do you know where you're going to go if you happen to pass away? Where you have a hundredfold assurance that you will be in the presence of the Lord when you die? And when I ask this question to people sometimes, they usually respond like, I don't know, but I want to go to heaven. <laughs> Does do, has everyone, anyone ever responded to you, I want to go to hell? Rarely, no. People usually say, I want to go to heaven when I die. I'm not perfect, but I think God will accept me. I, I think I'm good enough. But I think um, the Bible teaches that we can be sure, right? Not just, I think so. Because we rest our salvation on something else. On Jesus Christ's work on the cross. Not ourselves. And we don't have to be perfect. Because Jesus was perfect for us, right? And we put our faith in that. And that's how we are saved here today. So, I want to share these verses here. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4. This uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4 is probably the best, most concise and clear explanation of the gospel in the Bible that I, know, that I know of. Paul says here, For I deliver to you as of first importance, above everything else, this is the most important thing that I'm going to ever say here, people, he says, what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day 
in accordance with the scriptures. Wow, that's the gospel in a nutshell. And if you ever want to witness to someone, that's the verse to start with. This is the gospel here. Christ died for you. And he was raised on the third day. Not in accordance to what I said or what I made up, but according to the Bible, to the scriptures. And then you would say, all right, <clears throat> this person won't say, I consider myself to be a good person. Won't that be good enough? Won't that be good enough, James? Now you turn to Romans 3, 10. Romans 3, 10 through 12. This is, no, no, it's not good enough, friend. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, he says. No one seeks for God. Nobody. All have turned aside. Together, they have become, what? Worthless. <laughs> no one does good, not even one, Romans says. So you tell this person, they, they said to you, I, I think I'm good enough to get to heaven. And you're going to object and say, no, you're not. No one is. And then you're going to say, well, there's a consequence to that. Turn to page, uh, page Romans 6, 23. And they might say, oh, my sin's not that big of a deal, James. Everybody does it. I don't sin that bad. I never committed adultery. I never um, <clears throat> killed anyone. I might lie here and there. Okay, wait. Romans 6.23, my friend. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. The wages of sin, like you clock into a job every day and earn your money. You earn a wage. In the same way, because of our sin, we have earned eternal death, punishment away from God, my friend. They said, well, oh, wow, okay, my sin's, okay, my sin's a big deal then, James. If my sin's that bad, is there hope, James? Right, glad you asked. <laughs> Turn to Romans 5, 8. James, my sin, if, if you told me my sin can earn me death, punishment, and hell for all eternity, if it's that bad, what is there hope? Yes, my friend. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Some translation says that God demonstrated his love for us. You know, I love my wife. I love her dearly. And I can tell my wife that I love you all day. I love you. I love you, honey. You men need to learn how to say that to you. People that you love, don't be afraid to do that. But I can tell her all day long that I love her, but until I actually show her and demonstrate that I love her, she's going to feel love, huh? How do I show my wife that I love her? I use CDL, okay? All right, man, what's CDL mean? What does CDL mean? It's not commercial driver's license today, okay? Today, CDL reminds me of how I can show my wife love. 
C is clean. Yeah. <laughs> clean the house. Man, she just turns into a million bucks when they clean the house and she just comes in and she's like, oh my gosh, thank you. She just feels loved. D, I do the dishes. Man, you hate doing the dishes, don't you? I'm tall and I stretch over to do the dishes. Nah, but I do it because I love my wife. It shows she knows I love her because I do the dishes. L laundry. Men, if you don't learn know how to do the laundry, learn today. And if you simply do the laundry, you don't have to take your wife out to dinner. Eighty dollar dinner because she's gonna. That's gonna be good enough. You take the laundry and you fold the clothes and you put it away. That's how I demonstrate the love I have for my wife. She knows I love her because I do those things. God, right? God demonstrated His love by sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us. Amen. God doesn't just tell us He loves us. It's not all about words. God's about action. He, he, Jesus left the comforts of heaven and all its glory and all his glory and became a little vulnerable baby and went through a woman's womb and was stripped of all his divine privileges, divine rights. His all-powerfulness was gone. He stripped it for you. And he lived a life and he died on the cross for you. All right, we got three more verses here. This person I'm talking to might say, all right, well, you know, God loves me, so what? How can I be saved, James? Turn to Romans 10.9. Romans 10.9 and 13 says, but if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Don't tell this person, my friend, call on the Lord, cry out to him. Pastor Hudson used to say, the best theological statement we can ever make is, help me God. <laughs> There's nothing better to say that than help me. Confess with your mouth and, and believe in your heart that Christ died for your sins. And the next verse is that that's how we are justified by with the heart. So today, if you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, acknowledge Him and confess that God, I can't do this on my own. I keep messing up. I keep screwing up in my life. And it just, it's like a cycle, all right? It's a cycle. And I keep falling down on my face. I don't know how to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm at my wit's end. And in, in, in Christianity, we don't commit to Christ. We surrender to Him, don't we? Commit is not a good enough word for me. Commit is like for committees. You go there on your own. With Christ, you're, you're saying, God, I can't do it anymore. That's it. I'm ready. I put out my white flag. I, 
Ugh, I give up. Help me. That's surrender yourself to Christ here today. Two more verses. Say this person I was talking to prayed. And he says, all right, did God really hear me? Did God accept me? Because I, I, I believe I'm probably the most sinful. I have a wicked, wicked heart. Um, I hate myself. I, I'm terrible. Did God hear me, James? Romans 5, 1. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> before, before Christ, before you were saved, you were an enemy of God. Okay? You are enemy number one to God because of your sin. God hates sin. But because you say you were saved, you prayed, and you believed on Jesus Christ's work, atoning work on the cross, God accepted you because of your faith in His Son. Now you have peace with God. I would tell this person, you have peace with God now. If you truly, genuinely, sincerely put your faith in Christ just now, you have peace. One more. That person will say, okay, what do I do now, James? <laughs> I'm saved. I, I, God, thank you. Yeah, what, what, do I, what now? Acts 2, 3, 8. Two, three, Acts 2, 3, 8. Be baptized. Someone read that for me out loud. Acts 2, 3, 8. If you get that, read it out loud. I hope that's the right verse. I mean, 238, I'm sorry, Acts 238. And Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Baptism doesn't save you, but it confirms that you've been saved. You've been saved. Confirms of the wonderful thing that happened inside you, the spiritual awakening, the bringing the life, the dead, spiritually dead to life. Christ did that work. And then here, Paul says, you need to be baptized if you've been saved. Why? Because that shows that you are a Christian. You're, that's a testimony of your faith of your new life in Jesus. Um, so if you haven't been baptized here, you need to be baptized sooner or later because that's the command from Jesus Christ be baptized he said also baptizing in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Ghost in Acts 2 or on Matthew and three more uh, words here is also be a witness um, write this down Matthew 28 19 um, that's the great commission if you're a Christian here you need to be witnessing we need to be actively discipling someone that does, knows less than you that's younger than you, you need to be discipling. A disciple maker, Matthew 28, 19. Um, and go to church. You're here. If you're a believer, go to church. John 13, 34. 
John 13, 34. Go to church. Last but not least, what? If you're a believer, read the word of God. This is the most surest thing on this world, on this planet, is the word of God. I'm not sure about many things in my life. I guess I doubt. Um, I can only be sure up to a certain percent. But this Bible here is the most surest thing in your life right now. Read it. 2 Timothy 3.16. That's a good verse. 2 Timothy 3.16. So I want to give us a moment to meditate and just to reflect on the words that you've heard today. Um, and maybe 30 seconds and we'll close in prayer. Give you that time now. If you don't know the Lord, you know the verses now. You are accountable to them. If you don't know Jesus Christ, or you're not sure 100%, you have it in your lap now. If you already know Jesus Christ, you were charged just now to be a witness, to be baptized, go to church, read your word, the Bible. Okay? So, talk to the Lord here.